welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and this week I'm joined by my co-host, Jay Shabat, to discuss Iceland Air and Turkish Airlines subsidiary Anadolujet. Enjoy. Hey, Jay, how are you doing this week? I'm good, Ned. How are you? Good, good. We're back from Iceland, where the Skift uh, team went on a retreat last week, and we had a a very nice time, if cold and blustery, but that's Iceland in May for you. <laughs> and you got a chance to uh, speak with uh, someone from the airline community in uh, Iceland, If am I correct? That's right. I, I was able to sit down with Bogi Nils Bogason, the CEO of Iceland Air, in his office at Reykjavik's downtown airport. And, and if I have to say, he's got a great view from his office, runways and everything. So easy to be distracted if, uh, if you're another av geek like me. Sounds like a cool office. Yeah. But no, we had a good chat and I was able to talk to him a little bit about what's driving Iceland Air's success this year. So for, for readers who haven't been following our coverage, we they are forecasting a 4 to 6% operating margin in 2022, which, you know, is, is very good for the airline. They haven't posted a similarly high operating margin since 2016. And, you know, it's a big switch because in the first quarter, I believe, Jay, you said they were had a negative 20-something percent operating margin? Right, negative 26%. Negative 26%. So they're about to see some very strong demand this summer to, to turn that around to the positive area. But, you know, I, I, I was speaking to Mr. Bogusen, and he was talking about, you know, talked about how it's a very competitive environment out there. You know, they have a lot of high costs. Iceland is not a cheap country to operate in. So, you know, they don't have a, a you know low budget cost base. But it was interesting. What he said is really driving their financial performance this year are high yields. And that's really driven by just there's so much travel demand out there. People want to go to Iceland. People want to connect through Iceland to Europe. And that demand is really coming out of North America. Yeah, from familiar theme, right? I mean, we've just been hearing that from throughout the industry that demand this summer is going to be very good. And uh, one thing that uh, he, you know, I was I was reminded as I, as I read the interview that you did, Ned, uh, was that Iceland Air before the pandemic faced an extraordinary level of competition. Um, if our listeners will recall, there was uh, several low cost airlines, um, one operating in Iceland in particular, that were uh, you know kind of um, just just providing a lot of capacity across the Atlantic, which is sort let's of call a spade a spade and Wow Air, our, our listeners probably, you know, remember them. Those are in the industry. And and Wow Air, uh Bogusen said was, I mean, they were at the end being an irrational player. They were you know, essentially capacity dumping in the market to, you know, raise as much money as they could before they they shut down in twenty nineteen. And that was really forcing Iceland Air to discount their tickets to be competitive. And that that was driving their um weak performance in 2018, 2019, uh, before the pandemic. I think even flying A330s for a while, once once these low-cost players get into wide bodies, you, you know, there's trouble. Uh, but then, of course, don't forget Norwegian, which is, you know, not Icelandic, but uh, overlapping capacity there, too. Um, anything pretty much between Europe and uh, in North America is fair game for, for Iceland there. They kind of move things, uh, move all that traffic uh, through their Reykjavik hub. So if, uh, you know, Norwegian is starting flights from Paris to, you know, random places in the U.S., that's uh, that puts competitive pressure on Iceland there. So they're now Norwegian as far as their long haul activity anyway. That's gone. Uh, wow, Air is gone. 
and uh you know even some other players like uh, thomas cook is gone and um you know a lot of a lot of other transatlantic players have cut back capacity a lot so uh as you mentioned ned you know they they do have cost issues uh like not only uh you know i, I think it's that's something we can say for all airlines these days are facing cost inflation um minus fuel i should i should put aside yes, I mean, yeah, fuel minus is down fuel. year over year but non-fuel cost inflation is definitely an issue um but uh on the revenue side things are um you know about as good as they can be for for a transatlantic carrier so that's uh that's something they um have going right for them and we'll see if they they meet those operating margin goals that that you mentioned the negative 26 percent um that i mentioned earlier for the first quarter uh you know it sounds pretty bad i know i sound like a broken record because last week we talked about our canada how they're very seasonal um so it's certainly something that's that's not unusual to have heavy heavy losses in the first quarter but then make it up in the summer so uh it's um you know negative 26 percent is still it's a little a little bit high but um yeah, I, I think they're sitting in a pretty decent spot right now. Absolutely. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, and I should just just to go back to their losses pre-pandemic. And, you know, Bogusin wasn't he didn't say that it was entirely well. He clearly he blamed well, but he acknowledged they had some operational issues themselves and, and they've been working on that. Uh, they had the max grounding in 2019, which yes. hit them. Uh, you know, Iceland Air has, has been renewing their fleet with maxes. So that was that was a hit. But uh, it seems like they've you really turned a corner. Now, this isn't without help from the Icelandic state. They did get some aid during the pandemic. So their plan is is sound. Of course, execution is always the question, but but their plan is sound. Um, and looking forward, they actually have a, an interesting, they're, they're going to be branching off into a bit of a new area. They have committed to A321 XLRs that, you know, will begin delivering in the second half of the decade. And those Yeah, planes- that was a bit... Hmm? Oh, I'm sorry, Ned, to cut you off. I was just going to say that was a bit of a surprise. Yes, because Icelandair has long been a Boeing customer. I don't think they've ever bought an Airbus, though I believe I was looking at some of their old fleet, and I think they've wet leased Airbuses. So, yeah, A321 XLR. Now, I asked Bogusin if he was disappointed that Boeing did not relaunch the NMA, or the new mid-market airplane that they were talking about uh, prior to the pandemic, and and he took a very diplomatic approach, kind of, I can't, you know, we can't really, you know, it's a, a done decision. I can't really say anything one way or another, but he he pivoted and, and talked about being excited about the XLR um, because of the additional capabilities that it will give Iceland Air over their 757s. And, you know, those include new destinations like, for example, Los Angeles, Dubai, uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston were several that he mentioned. So it's... You know, they're looking forward to that. They're still, they, they're hoping to have the first in service in the summer of 2025. So they're, they're two summer seasons out. And it, uh, it potentially could be a, a very good aircraft for Icelandair's model. Yeah, and I thought that was pretty cool that he specified, uh, you know, actually named some of those routes that, that uh, they're thinking about, uh, the Dubai and, and Dallas, did you say, was the other one? And Dallas, uh, I want to say it was Dallas or Houston. It was one of those Texas. Maybe Houston. So, Houston yeah. sounds, yeah, yeah, yeah. Houston, I think, and uh, yeah, so that's um, you can see where that that aircraft would uh, would make sense for them. They were flying seven six sevens for a while, which are you know those are twin aisle planes, obviously a little bit older generation, not so fuel efficient. 
um, relative to you know the more modern planes. They still uh, actually they, have three seven six sevens flying. They uh, oh, okay, they, they, yeah. they still got a few of those left. Yeah, so you can see that that's uh, you know they can there, there are routes where they can fill that you know probably good on some of the longer routes. So um, yeah, they have the now of course the big challenge for them and you know Norwegian faced this issue in spades is uh, you know you can fill anything in the summer, but how do you fill the bigger planes in the uh, you know in the winter? Um, and, uh, you know, that's still, they'll have to kind of well, manage that, but, but certainly he didn't, those, he, didn't, he didn't say specifically that the seven, six, sevens were going, but that was generally the implication. He said their fleet plan was either go all max with several wide bodies or go max and a three twenty one XLR. So the suggestion there is, is they will be exiting the seven, six, seven fleet at some point in the next five or so years, but he yeah. did not say that ex explicitly. Well, they are getting a little bit long in the tooth there. They're, uh, you know, those are older aircraft. And the other thing nowadays when you're, today's context, when you're doing fleet planning, it's almost not just, uh, okay, which is the right aircraft for me? It's, uh, you know, which aircraft is, <laughs> am I going to be able to get on time? And, you know, which, uh, which aircraft is, uh, you know, and I say that because, of course, you know, Iceland Air had, a lot of frustration with with their with with the Max and not being able to get them when they wanted to get them, and at some point they may have been. I think you know I think to some extent Ryanair uh, is kind of flirted with this too because you know Ryanair some A three twenties as well now some Airbus planes that they inherited from through acquisitions and I think there's starting to be this idea out there that uh, you know maybe we need to not be completely dependent on one supplier. Maybe it's a little bit safer from a you know business risk point of view to uh you know to have that uh supplier diversity. Um now you only have two choices. So it's it's uh can't get too can't get too uh can't diversify too much. But yeah I don't I don't think the uh E2 is gonna do much for Icelanders network out of Iceland. So Pro yeah, it's, probably it's not that or no, no ATRs or uh <laughs> Yeah. Well, they do the fly Dash 8s. I did. Oh, that's a, an aside, listeners. I did get the opportunity to fly on one of Iceland Air's Dash 8 flights out of the Reykjavik's downtown airport up to Isafjord, a, a small airport on a fjord in the west fjords of Iceland. And it was a gorgeous flight. Um, the, the crew was very, uh, perfunctory, I have to say, but it, you know, it's just, it's some stunning, stunning landscape that they have up there. That must have been pretty cool. Yeah, it sounded like uh, your pronunciation was uh, was th that impressed me. I don't know if it was correct, but you, uh... so any Icelandic listeners, please you can write in and let us know about my pronunciation. But uh, we'll we'll save that for later podcasts. Sounded impressive. Well, we'll take a quick break, and we're going to go to somewhat warmer climbs and talk about Turkey when we're back. back jay the other week you got the chance to write about andalu andolujet again our turkish listeners can see correct me on my pronunciation there if they wish and uh, uh, what's happening there tell us a little bit about andolujet yeah so andolujet and uh yeah apologies for pronouncing it long it, it wrong it's um refers to anatolia which is you know region in turkey and uh this is the low-cost uh operating unit of turkish airlines you know wholly owned and they they you know, it's, it's, it's even doesn't even have its own airline operating certificate. It's under the uh, you know the TKI Attic code, and it is um, 
It's it's actually it's been around for a while. Um, they started it back in you know the early two thousands, I think, uh, and um, it never really was well. The mission was never really well defined for a while. They were doing some international, and then you know it was kind of more domestic oriented. But uh, but in the in the new Turkish Airlines business plan, the um, which, which is very extremely ambitious uh, in its own right. Was the, it six? Um, they plan to order six hundred new aircraft uh, for delivery over the next ten years. I think six hundred new aircraft, two hundred of them wide bodies. They That's plan to. I don't have a. <laughs> they um, they plan to uh, yeah, just the, the traffic um, the number of people that they plan on uh, flying by in the next ten years is just I don't have the number off the top of my head, but you know, well in excess of a hundred million, and uh, you know, it was it was just a fraction of that. 10, 20 years ago. So it's just tremendous, tremendous amount of growth there. And that applies to Anadolu Jet as well. They really want to, um, you know, just make that into something much more than it currently is, you know, just a very, very dynamic, low-cost carrier. And I think there are a couple of reasons for it. I mean, one, they uh, they are competing with Pegasus Airlines, which is, you know, kind of, the, it's a quieter story, but they've had spectacular growth uh, and very profitable growth as well. Um, they operate mostly from uh, Istanbul Secondary Airport. Uh, Gochin, I probably shouldn't even try to pronounce it, but um, <laughs> neither but, of us yeah, should. Neither of us should this this episode, Ned, <laughs> we're we're butchering a lot of uh, pronunciation, and our apologies for uh, our English centric uh, podcast here. But but uh, no, from the secondary um, airport, which is on the Asian side of Istanbul, Pegasus is doing very well. They also operate from. A lot of Turkey's, uh, you know, popular tourist resorts like Antalya and uh, the capital Ankara as well. So, um, you know, Turkish looks at that and, you know, wants to, as perhaps a defensive measure, use Anadolu Jet for that purpose. Um, and then, they, you know, they really want to grow it internationally. Um, when they when they do announce this aircraft order, I don't know if it's going to be at this year's air show or where's the I've, air show? I've London heard this rumors year? that it's going to happen at the Ada annual general meeting in Istanbul the in two weeks yes. where I will be listeners. So I will be reporting live from, from the event anyway. So if you guys are, if are, any of our listeners are there, go say hi to Ned. You'll be, be in Istanbul. And yes, I did. I did hear that as well, that that might be a venue where they announced that uh, the Istanbul um, hosted uh, Yeah, it's going to be an, I had AGM in Istanbul. So that would be a good venue to, announced this massive aircraft order. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there you have it, Anadolu Anadol Jet. And, uh, you know, the, the one question that uh, you that comes to mind anytime an airline is so aggressive in, uh, you know, adding so many new planes is, you know, do they have the growth prospects, the opportunities to support it? Uh, you know, I'll leave that as an open question. I, I do think that they're, you know, they've done a great job so far. And obviously, you know, just having that great hub in Istanbul, every time you add an extra route, it just, you know, creates all these new connecting opportunities. So it's, uh, you know, they, they have a powerful hub engine to work with. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do there. But, you know, Turkish and Anadolu Jet, their subsidiary, have really become the the third Gulf carrier, uh, you know, effectively, with uh, as Etihad Airways has pulled back some and you know, the, the third, uh, golf isn't right, but the third, you know, super connector in that part of the world. It's, and, you know, the, the growth plans really flesh that out. 
And I have right, to say, right. with, with Turkish's uh, ability to fly narrow bodies to so many points in Europe, it's, you know, they can effectively serve a lot more destinations profitably than, than I'd say Emirates or Qatar Airways can, just because, you know, they're so much closer. The flip side is it's harder for Turkish to get to Australia. Like, that's something that they don't, where they don't fly currently. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, they, and they, they're looking at Australia and they probably will order some planes to get there. Or they probably, you know, can... They, they'll, they'll, it's probably, it's happening. It's, it's uh, probably won't be too long before uh, Australia goes on the route map, but no, you make a perfect point. Um, I, I think you're exactly right that uh, the Turkish Airlines is in many respects doing exactly what the Gulf carriers uh, have done, but in some ways are doing it better. Um, and with low, lower risk because of, as you mentioned, they can reach more with narrow bodies, which are, you know, that's just uh, just a lower risk proposition flying narrow bodies and wide bodies. Um, the other thing to remember, too, is that whereas, you know, a place certainly Doha uh, or, you know, in Abu Dhabi, even to some extent Dubai is a, you know, relatively small market, whereas Istanbul is, you know, a huge city with a lot of tourism and uh, a lot of business and you know, very just a, a very large population. So it's not just, and then Turkey itself, of course, is, is a big market too. Um, massive tourism market. So massive you tourism, can massive, uh, massive local market. I mean, if we yep. include it in Europe, it'd be either the largest or one of the largest domestic markets in in Europe. If you if you like, if you that's how you cut the geography. So you know, Turkish yeah. has that to support it. Uh, whereas Emirates and Qatar Airways become, you know, they rely entirely on international travel and international connecting travel pretty much yeah and i have by the way i have those i just pulled while we were talking i pulled up those uh turkish the turkish airlines the new business plan that i referred to earlier in 2003 turkish airlines flew 10 million passengers this year they expect to fly 85 million and then by 2033 10 years from now they're shooting for 171 million with 400 aircraft so it's just you know, the, the growth is just uh, mind-blowing. And I even have here, as I'm scrolling down here, their presentation, uh, Anadolu Jet, which we, um, you know, started talking about. They, um, that alone is going to, right now, has 64 planes. By 2033, they plan to have 200 airplanes. So that's, you know, EasyJet. So I don't know, EasyJet probably has more than that. But but it's, you know, we're, we're kind of approaching that where, where it's like you're, you're in that same league of like Wizz Air and EasyJet. You're just becoming like a very, very large, large airline in its own right. right. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch. And of course, we sit here uh, coming out of the pandemic, you know, best laid plans can always be thrown for loop by anything. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, how this, you know, we should uh, check back in. May 2033, we need to have a follow-up podcast to see if Turkish Airlines has achieved their growth targets. I'm going to put it in my calendar. Excellent. Excellent. Well, listeners, that's the latest issue of the Airline Weekly Lounge episode. Um, if you want to reach myself, you can reach me at er at skiff.com. You can reach Jay at js at skiff.com. Jay, it's always a pleasure. Okay. Likewise, Ned. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out AirlineWeekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.